Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today is November 18th, 2021, and we shall be discussing more quotes from presidents of the United States. Why are we doing this? That's kind of fun. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm sorry. I have you muted. Go ahead. As me, I, I had you muted. Okay. Beautiful day here. Uh, I'm doing fine. Beautiful day in Colorado. I'm looking forward to hearing more of what the presidents say, uh, because presidents have a different perspective than other people because they're at the because of their position. And uh, let's just hear how they how they think and how they say things. Uh, some of them uh, might help us, and some of them we may disagree with. We'll mm-hmm. see. And I've been on this kick where like anyone who would choose a leadership role or to be in a power of authority, they're automatically suspect. But I think it's important to say, you know, not all presidents are bad people. Just like not all clergymen or police officers are bad people. Yeah, it's weird that they chose that life. But you know what? Some of them are good people. Um, so shall we just cut the crap and get straight into the quotes or what? <laughs> yeah, let's do the quotes. Let's see. Where okay. were we? We stopped last time. Yes, we stopped and, uh... at James K. Polk. And let yes. me get that pulled up, and I have to do a little massaging of our display. So, um, okay. Let me just get that pulled up. Okay. And Gerald R. Ford is the next one. Okay. I think we're good. Here we are. Oh, wait. Okay. I went back because I... Oh, yes. The, we ended on propaganda. Peace, plenty yeah, of contentment, right. rain throughout <laughs> our borders. Uh-huh. Um, so let's move on to Gerald Ford. Do you want to read the first one? Oh, yeah. Gerald Ford. This is I like kind of like this. Uh, it's it's kind of like a warning. He says, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take from you everything you have. Yeah, I guess my my question would be so. No, it's no, it's true. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, I'm think I think what he's get to well, what I what I think is that I don't know what he's getting at, but what I think is that yeah, that's true. That's right. Therefore, be very very careful uh, with governments that get big, mm-hmm. with big government. He's make yeah. sure the big governments are there for the right reasons. Yeah. He's an advocate for limited government. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> or or uh, if you have big government, have very strong checks and balances all the mm-hmm. way through to where you, the government just can't do can't take everything whenever they want to. To uh, government of the people, by the people, for the people. Somehow you have to do that. But uh, government governing is very, very tricky. Yeah. Isn't it, David? Yeah, like if you have um, central single-payer health care, you know, socialized medicine, mm-hmm. you know, the government can decide that you don't get treatment for your advanced cancer because you're stage four or whatever. And that's sad. Right. And it's like, so it's like, well, we can't have that. Let's have a system where you die of diabetes because you can't afford insulin. But at least the government didn't take it away from you. It was your fault for not having enough money. So, I mean, I understand why it's bad, but I also understand that there are things where the government has the scale to provide necessary services to anyone. Um, 
for instance, if you look at the Constitution, the preamble to the Constitution, we the people, in order to form a more perfect human union, um, establish justice, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, all those things ensure domestic tranquility or uh, blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, all of those things, they're saying the government's going to do that. And it's like, that's a tall task, and that's the first thing that we said in our Constitution. Um, so a government big enough to provide defense is also big enough to take it away. A government big enough to promote general welfare is also big enough to take it away. So I see what he's saying, but do you see what I'm saying? How Absolutely. So if you want to create a government big enough to do that for you, then you got to be careful because how can you prevent a government from taking it away? Mm -hmm. I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the whole idea of the pendulum swings one way or the other. Mm -hmm. That's why you have at least a two-party system. Yeah. Well, Gerald Ford was one of, you know, three presidents that uh, didn't even win the popular vote. So so what do we care what he says? <laughs> well, what? who are the other two? Trump and, well, George W. Bush did win the popular vote in 2004. So he's one of two presidents that didn't win the popular vote, right? Yeah. Who? Tr Trump didn't win the Trump. popular vote. That's true. Because um, George W. Bush did not win the popular vote in 2000. But when he got reelected, he did. See, Trump lost the popular vote when he won, and he lost the popular vote when he lost. So, yeah. Um, and Gerald Ford was one of the others that did not win the popular vote. Well, hmm. moving on. James Monroe. Whoa. This is a very interesting saying. We can talk about what the world is he talking about here. James Monroe. A king without power is an absurdity. Well, in some systems, don't you have a king or a queen, and don't you have other people running the country? Yeah, and I think that's what he was discussing, because this is James Monroe. This is early 1800s. Yeah, late 1700s, early 1800s, and he sees that, and maybe he's, maybe he's just, just uh, calling out <laughs> uh, monarchies that the king really has no power. They're a figurehead. Mm -hmm. Well, it's. I mean, it's... I don't know exactly what he's getting at. He may just be sort of poking the bear in terms of, well, Parliament has all the power. The King of England doesn't have any power anymore. That type of thing, which is relatively true. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think if you look at the King's speech, you know, Elizabeth II's dad, whatever his name was, I forget. George? Was he George? Um, do you remember that? What's that? Elizabeth II's dad. I don't know. He was George. Yeah, George the Sixth. So during the World War II, he had to give radio addresses, and yeah. he had a stutter. And that whole movie is about how he overcame it, and he sort of calmed the the populace. So you know, Winston Churchill was prime minister, but George the Sixth was the king. And the thing is, yes, they don't have power, and it's sort of absurd for them to live in palaces and not really exercise any political power and sort of cling to the, the vestiges of the political system that once existed. 
I mean, it is sort of absurd. I think when I read about Harry and Meghan Markle, I think that's absurd. Like, why should I care what this B-list actress and this guy that never meant anything to me <laughs> did with their lives, you know? Or or William and Kate. It's like, why should I care? Like, these people are unimportant to me. Um, why are they in the news? Because... <laughs> A B-list actress. You're going to have everyone on our, on our case, David. Uh, but... <laughs> I mean, I'm I like a, it. I mean, you're calling them out. Say that's your opinion. Uh, I've seen her in movies. She's 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 good. She, mm-hmm. She's a good actress. But the point, but your point is well taken. Uh, you know, I he's never been in my kitchen. Yeah, yeah. This, the Cliff Clavin. Yeah, the Cliff Clavin. They've never been in my kitchen. Well, I like the next one, William Howard Taft. Uh, this is something that that is not as as good. All right, you want to read it? Yeah. Uh, don't write so that you can be understood. Write that you can't be misunderstood. I like that. I like that, too. And hopefully you you not misunderstood to understand what you want to be understood. So, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, in other words, be clear. Be yeah. very be crystal clear. Like, there's no doubt about what you're saying. And so that you can't be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, that's harder than it sounds. It really is. And uh, and it and it's a it's a it's a gift. It's a talent. It's a it's a, a, a ability that some people never achieve. I know I have a hard time. A lot of I have a hard time. Sometimes I'll say things. They go, "Oh, you mean this?" Or, no, no. I mean, and I have to explain it. Uh, sometimes when you get into a thought. And you say, I know what I'm thinking, and words fail me. Uh, so then you have to think about how you communicate that in such a way that they understand what you understand. Because uh, understanding something, communicating something, and then having the other person understand what you understand, that process is not easy. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have multiple people out there listening to you, and they all understand differently. Yeah. Um, there's a YouTube channel. This is a little off topic, but it's called Dar Man. Uh-huh. And he does inspirational content. And his stuff is so dumb. The scripts are so <laughs> transparent. Like it's um it's like it was written for a child. And there's a YouTuber that called him out and then Darman said, Hey, why don't you come and uh, be in one of my skits? So he did it. And he learned, you know, like, a lot of this stuff is dumb because his audience, like half of them, don't even speak English. So you have to communicate the message of the story with the simplest language possible. And you have to do a lot of stuff visually. And you have to sort of play stuff out visually so that people that don't understand the dialogue can understand what's going on in the story. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of his stuff is so simple. And... It's fascinating to think about that. Have you heard about this guy, uh, the Nigerian guy that goes like this? Have you seen this guy? No. Uh, um, he's a TikTok star. Let me pull him up. Let me just pull up, uh, what's his name? Yeah. I just Googled TikTok star black guy. This guy. Kaban Lame, 21-year-old African-American TikToker. Um, let's see if we can find a video. 
Who's um, a funny guy on TikTok. So he just reenacts other people's TikToks, and then at the end, he goes, uh, he goes like this. And that's his whole gig. <laughs> and people love it. Uh-huh. And uh, it's fascinating to me, like... One reason why he's blown up, he's got over 100 million followers on TikTok, is because that, so he acts it out physically. Someone will do something dumb physically, he'll act it out, and then he'll go. And that communicates across language barriers. Yeah. So it's not just people in the United States or England or, like, in Mexico, they can find him funny. In France, they can find him funny. In South America, in Africa, in Asia, they can find him funny. That's why he's blown up so fast. And his gimmick was sort of removed from language. Yeah. If you don't if you don't speak English, there's no reason for you to watch this podcast. Unless you want to That's stare right. at our faces for an hour. That's right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well there's a lot of things cross uh, language barriers, like music. Mm-hmm. Music crosses language barriers. Physical comedy does. And mm-hmm. uh, silent films will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't really need to read the title cards. But yeah, so um if it's done right. So, yeah, what can you do that's meaningful, like Taft was saying, and won't be misunderstood? But let's move on, because I like broccoli, so I don't know what he's talking about. I do not like broccoli, and I haven't liked it since I was a little kid. My mother made me eat it, and I'm the president of the United States, and I'm not going to eat broccoli. George H.W. <laughs> Bush. Wow, what a, what a quote to be attributed to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, because usually a quote has some meaning to it. And so, you know, I'm not sure what meaning, what significant, deep meaning is in that quote. I think it's just when you're the president, you get to sort of put your foot down on some things. And even if that's as minimal as I don't want to eat broccoli, you can do it. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, this may be a call out to George H.W. Bush, you know, I mean. Like the one that we had about Biden? I've known three presidents had about intimately. Biden. Yeah. yeah. Trying to make modern presidents look less wise than their ancient less, ancient counterparts. Less sage. Yep. Well, let's move on to William McKinley. In the time of darkest defeat, victory may be nearest. Okay, whatever. Yeah, he died too, right? Yeah. He was unable to snatch victory from the jaws of his assassination. Uh, oh, he was assassinated? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, then he died because they couldn't bring him back. The uh, Well, I, to me, I think a better quote is that in the time of darkest defeat, uh, define your victory. Yeah. You know, because you might lose on the battlefield... You might use the lose a battle, but you can win the war. So I think that's what he's and, saying. Maybe it's, that's maybe that's it's, what he's saying. It's vague enough where you be like, yeah, that's that's deep. A lot of these ones, <laughs> you just have to keep it vague, and then it'll it's deep. Well, you can spin it any way you want to make it either dumb or 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 wise. Andrew Johnson, the first president to be impeached, said, "Honest conviction is my courage. The Constitution is my guide." <laughs> The first president to be impeached. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, I think he wasn't he, a particularly good president. 
But he uh, he was the one right after Lincoln, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Do you think people will look back in 150 years and say, ah, oh, yeah, Trump, I, I don't remember correctly, but I don't think that he was a particularly good president. Do you think people will say stuff like that? Yeah, wasn't he the one that was impeached twice? Yeah, he got impeached twice. I think he sent a gang of angry uh, insurrectionists to storm the Capitol, but they didn't succeed. I think. Andrew Johnson... He tried to overturn our government, yeah. I'm pretty sure Andrew Johnson got impeached. He was the first. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I remember about him. But the the saying is a good saying, I think. Honest conviction is my courage. The constitution is my guide. See, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Which is a good lesson, David. It's that's To me, that sounds really good. But then Andrew Johnson was the first president to get impeached. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and, it didn't serve him well. And maybe he got impeached just because, you know... The radicals on the left wanted him out of there. Maybe, maybe. John Quincy Adams. Patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Well, that's kind of like... Keep on looking, trying. That, that's looking at um, life through rosy colored glasses. Patience and perseverance can have positive effects, but it doesn't make the difficulties disappear or obstacles vanish. They're still there. You just overcome them. Mm-hmm. So I guess what he's saying, overcoming them, is making them disappear. They are no longer obstacles if they're behind you. But but they you didn't make them go away. You, you conquered them. Yeah, through patience and perseverance. Yeah. You made them go away through patience and perseverance. Yeah. I don't see them as going away if you conquer them. They go away if you ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) But but patience and perseverance, whatever you say about it, those two things, uh, the two P's, uh, PP, patience and perseverance, that that is, you can start anything with that, and that that is something really that uh, defines uh, many people's success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and success in all different ways, and uh, politics, and business, and life, and everything. Mm-hmm. Just don't give up. Just never give up, right, David? Never give up. Never ever give never up. Get, and be patient. And just wait, wait, and be patient, and never give up. What, what does Grover Cleveland say? He says, "Honor lies in honest toil." Honor I- lies in honest toil. I, I like that because, you know, I think about these guys, like financial engineering, making money off of money, and they're making 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year just out of thin air. And it's like, then I think about the guy like in the steel factory or, you know, the lady teaching elementary school. It's like they're not making 20 or 30 million dollars a year. But you know what? What they're doing is more important than what this financial engineer is doing. So it may not be rewarded in terms of dollars and cents, but there's honor to what they're doing. Absolutely. Very well said, David. Very well said. I agree with you. I agree with you. And and people have to see that, mm-hmm. that they are honorable people because they have honest toil. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the amount of money you make or your income, it's not a scoreboard. The things that you can buy do not sort of reflect on your honor. 
Uh, moving it's on. Better, it's better to be, it's better to have honor in life. It's better to die with honor than to live with riches in dishonor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. What, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Conscious is the authentic voice of God to you. I don't know about that. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, so maybe we should do like a little bit of analysis of who Rutherford B. Rutherford. Why would Rutherford B. Hayes say that? What kind of president was he? Do you, you know? Not particularly. Was he... Was he Rutherford. That's not a name that's uh, common today. Oh, yeah, I know Rutherford. Oversaw the end of Reconstruction. Began efforts that led to the civil service. Um, yeah, I mean, he's... I, I, I don't know too much about him, but... Conscious is, uh, is the authentic voice of God to you. So I guess the what he means by authentic voice is something that is truly inside you. But then again, uh, conscious, uh, that's different for different people. Well, also your inner monologue that's telling you to do things. You know, if you're at the car dealership and um, you're 35 years old and your wife just had twins and you, you're given uh, $15,000 in your checkbook and you're allowed to go put a down payment on a brand new minivan and the voice inside your head is saying, I need this Camaro. Like, that's not the authentic voice of God telling you to buy the Camaro. That's just like you. And I think that a lot of times people associate the voice in their head with their conscience. You deserve this Camaro. Your newborn babies don't need a minivan. You need to look cool driving around town in this Camaro. And you say, well, it's in my head. It must be the authentic voice of God telling me to buy the Camaro. Rutherford B. Hayes told me that God told me to do it. <laughs> God, I, I, sorry, sorry, honey, I couldn't, I had to, because God told me to do it. I got to obey God. I had to buy the Camaro. I had to buy that Camaro because God told me to do it, or a motorcycle, or a Harley. Yeah, so now I got my Harley. I can drive my Harley around. We'll just put the twins on the back of the Harley. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get a wagon and hook it onto the back of the <laughs> Harley. Aside, you got, you, and you guys can wag it. You guys can ride in the wagon in the back, because God told me to do it. Okay. Oh man, we, we tore that one apart. Uh huh. Yeah. Never judge a stranger by his clothes, Zachary Taylor. What do you think of that one? I. Well, I think uh, the the meaning behind that is, a book don't change. Judge a book by its color. Don't you know what you first see is not necessarily what's deep and that kind of thing and. Uh, yeah, that's those kinds of sayings have been around for a long time, and yeah, that's kind of a safe saying. It is a safe saying. I also think it's probably more true today than it was when Zachary Taylor was president. Um, you know, you look at like a rapper, and this is, and they get let's say a hundred thousand dollar advance, and they're wearing five hundred dollar shoes and twenty thousand dollars worth of gold chains. You look at an investment banker, they're making a million dollars a year, and they're wearing a $5,000 tailor-made suit. You look at a billionaire like Bill Gates, and he's wearing like Hagar khakis and a green sweater. <laughs> so it's like the more money you get, 
the less you spend on your clothes almost. <laughs> you look at uh, you look at uh, Bill Cosby, and then you look at who is it? Who's the guy? The the comedian Dave Chappelle? No, no, no. Uh, that he called out. He says you shouldn't be cursing. Oh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Look at Bill Cosby, and then look at Eddie Murphy. Now it's not the the clothes they're wearing, but uh, sort of it's mm. their appearance. Yeah, that's so a, that's I think a good story. I think he's uh, Zachary Taylor's right, especially today. I think that you know people that have the most power often don't look like it yep. because because well, they also, they have they have so much power. Like a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg or a Jeff Bezos, they have so much power they don't need to project their power with their clothes. No, our they're, appearances. They're, they're past the point of projecting their power with their dress, and. Uh, you know, the investment banker, he has to put on that $5,000 suit because he doesn't really have as much power as Bill Gates. He needs to project some power with his appearance. Yep. I like that. So that's a safe saying. It's very safe. And uh, people people can agree with that. Uh, uh, but then what does Bill Clinton say? Billary Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> Billary Clinton. Uh, yeah. Um, do you know what the J stands for? Uh, William. Uh, no, what? Jefferson. Oh, yeah. William Jefferson. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, do you want me to read this one? Okay. Bill Clinton says, if you live long enough, you'll make mistakes. But if you learn from them, you'll be a better person. It's how you handle adversity, not how it affects you. The main thing is never quit. Never quit. Never quit. Yeah, we got a lot of these perseverance ones, and I think that with the president, maybe your whole day is just bouncing from disaster to disaster, and people criticizing how you handled everything, and you have to sort of say, "I did my best. That's in the past. Let's look at this next thing. Let's do our best." There's no way I I, I believe there's no way to be president and not make mistakes and not have a lot of people disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And criticize you, yeah. And and every there's no way. I don't care who you are or what you do or how good you are. There's, there's no way. Yeah. And so, uh, in our in our country, uh, because people are have freedom of speech, they can say what they want and believe what they want. And so there's no way. So yeah, again, this is a safe statement too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. And you should learn from your mistakes, and. Uh, and keep keep moving. Well, John Tyler is next. I can never consent to being dictated to. Wow. I can never consent to being dictated to. That that sounds like there's a context around that. Mm-hmm. And I mean to take this out of context. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean we're doing this in audio, so we're reading to people, but. Like someone's dictating, like reading something to you. Is that what he means? Or you're supposed to take dictation. You're supposed to write down everything someone says. Is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about dictate, dictated as in the form of government? I think the, I think he's saying that people are telling you what to do, but you don't have to agree with it. Yeah. I, no, I don't agree with that. Just because you tell me to do it doesn't mean I have to do it. 
you know, says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's not right. And actually, now that I think about that, uh, I, I, I kind of agree in the, in the context, don't do things just because people tell you to, uh, you don't, con- you don't consent to just everything that's being dictated to you. You think about it and you make it, you make your own conscious decisions about doing it. In other words, that's not the truth only because you saw it on TV. Yeah, or you're not, not doing the, it because you were told. You yeah. may be told to do something, and you only consent because you've put it through your own mind. Right? Yeah, you, it has to be yours. In other words, you don't say, this is truth because you read it in the paper. You know? Or this isn't, the, this isn't what I should do because that's what people told me to do. You know? And because there's so many, how, wow. How many people do that today? Mm-hmm. You know, have your own mind. Think, think it through. Think about what is true and what is not. Go some fact finding. Now, I don't know if he meant all that, uh, but I guess I could spin it that way, right? Yeah, I think it's basically don't tell me what to do. That's what he's saying, right? Right. He's basically saying in, this, in a less, in a more articulate way. It pisses me off when people tell me what to do. Yeah, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Or the other thing, too, just because you dictate to me to do this, then I'm never going to consent to that. You can convince me, but don't dictate to me. So it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. So that, that could be another another spin on it, too. Yeah. I don't like people, you know, shaking their finger at me. You do this. Says, well, I may do that, but it's not because you're dictating it to me. It's because I don't have to consent to it just because you do it. Anyway, yeah. there's a lot of ways to take that. I pity but the man ben- who oh, Benjamin Harrison said, I pity the man who wants a coat so cheap that the man or woman who produces the cloth will starve in the process. Wow. That sounds like uh Mr. T. Mr. T. I pity the man. Did you hear Maybe about- that's where he got it? <laughs> Benjamin Harrison was born long before Mr. T. Yeah, maybe that's where he got it. I can't get to Twitter. Bummer. Mr. T just got his booster shot. And I don't know exactly yeah. what he said, but he's like, I pity the virus. There's no way it's going to get me. And only fools <laughs> decide not to get vaccinated. It was something like that. It was cool. <laughs> Go, Mr. T. I, I kind of like his chutzpah. I like his, you know, he, he gets out there. He says what he thinks and mm-hmm. everything. Uh, but I pity the man. I pity the man who wants to coat. But I like this saying, really, who wants a coat so cheap that the man or woman who produces a cloth will starve in the process. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. It is pretty heavy. Also, is it the person is it the consumer's fault? Yeah. Uh, who wants the coat so cheap? The the customer? Or the or, the boss, or the, the manager of or the, the store. textile factory? Or, yeah, or the Retail or the store or the man or the re- or the retail mechanism, the retail the dis- machinery, dis- the distributor, the distributor, the retail machinery that produces this. You know, I want a coat cheap so I can sell it and make money. And the one who produces it, they'll starve over there mm-hmm. where it came from. So pity the man, uh, pity the uh, you say man, you think of man, but then you always think of the customer. But the man could be just a symbol for other things, too. Mm-hmm. The man. Okay, what did Martin Van Buren say? 
Well, he said, the people under our system, like the king in a monarchy, never dies. I don't know what that means. I don't think I know what that means either. I Basically, he's saying the people are the rulers. So, you know, an unbroken line of kings, even though we don't have that in any monarchy, continues to rule. Well, in America, the people will continue to rule. Well, without a people, you don't have a you don't have a country. Without a king, you don't have a monarchy. Mm -hmm. He's basically saying the people in our system are the king. Yeah. So yeah, fine, that's fine. Whatever, Martin Van Buren. No one even whatever that. No one yeah, even knows know. who you are. The, <laughs> the the other thing is that so what? I so think why? though, when you think about Martin Van Buren, how early he was in the list of presidents, the world was just waking up to democracy. It was, you know, all the European powers were monarchies. So so those early presidents, they were sort of like evangelists for self-rule. And so they were able to say, listen, our system is different than your system. In our system, you know who's king? The people. And that was a big talking point. And of course, you know, you see American Revolution, French Revolution, then you see, you know, the liberalization of all the governments of Europe. He was early on? Yeah. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Quincy Adams, Jackson, Van Buren. So he's just after... 1837 to 1841. And yeah, it's, you know, 37 years after the turn of the century. But you have to remember, it's olden times. So it takes longer for ideas to get around the world. Yeah, he was the eighth president of the United States. Oh, wow. He had a funny haircut. He, he is like mine if it was grown out. Yeah. Like a Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Oh, man. There's a lot of Martin Van Buren's all in a row here. Like this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Marty. Martin Van, Martin Van Buren. It's just like that. Yeah. Oh. I went to the Martin Van Buren quotes. Uh-huh. You got a lot of them? There's, there's a bunch of them. He, he, he said a lot of things, David. Good for him. Now he, uh, Good for him. The, it should say the people in our system, unlike me, never die. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Moving on, James Buchanan, one of the worst presidents in U.S. history. Oh, really? I think that the historians ranked him the worst. And that they ranked Trump the third worst. Because James Buchanan was the president that oversaw the secession of the South. The test of leadership is not to put greatness into humanity, but to elicit it, for the greatness is already there. Yeah, you did a great job, James Buchanan. Good job with that Civil War. So James Buchanan was the president when the Civil War started? I believe so, yes. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, this quote's fine, I suppose. It's not to put greatness into humanity, but to elicit it, for the greatness is already there. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the greatness was the Civil War, you know. 
the, the point is, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's really. Uh, it's basically like saying, I'm not going to lead these people to greatness. Like these people are already great. I just have to bring it out in them. And that makes sense. Like if you're a coach, you can't make the team great. The team is already great. You just have to sort of prove to or convince them that they are and then they'll be great. You see what I'm saying? I, I agree. Uh, yeah, that's true. But like a coach, a leader takes the greatness and, and focuses it on a, on a goal and objective of mm -hmm. winning. Uh, you can you can uh, elicit greatness to be diverse and you never win. Winning is really coming together. Uh, it's the United States of America, not the divided States of America. So a leadership that leads them to division uh, to me is uh, it's not going to be great. Well, I mean, I think though, I think you're going to fall. You might be talking about current events, and uh, when you don't lead everyone, are you really leading? You know what I mean? Like, if you're the coach of a basketball team, and you say, "Well, the power forward and the center, and the small forward want me to be your coach. The point guard and the shooting guard don't." So I'm not going to teach the point guard and the shooting guard anything about our offensive system. Do you expect your basketball team to win? Or is that just being a bad leader? Well, I think I think a good leader in that sense is that even people disagree with you, they will follow you for the good of the group. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I've heard it also said that a true leader is uh, bringing people together uh, that normally wouldn't come together. Yeah. To, for a common good, for for some kind of common good, that you may not totally agree, but you understand you understand of the good, and that will, that way you'll do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you're if you're the coach of a football team, and you got eleven guys on offense, eleven guys on defense, and eleven guys on special teams. Let's just say you have thirty three people on the roster, and your goal uh, is to remain coach. And you say there's 33 people on the roster, and I'm allowed to be coached by a vote of the players. So all I got to do is turn 17 of my players against 16 of my other players. And if those 17 players can hate those 16 players, they'll vote for me to stay coach because they know that I'm on their side. Um, how are you going to be a good football team if that's your strategy? That's my question. <laughs> it's kind of a good point, right? Yeah, it is a good point. Yeah, like you, your goal shouldn't be to make half of the half that's on your side hate the other half. Like we're all on the same team here. We're all sort of working towards the same goal. Okay, let's keep going. William Henry Harrison. I died in 80 days. He died. He got pneumonia at his inauguration and he died. Um, there wow. is nothing more corrupting, nothing more destructive of the noblest and finest feelings of our nature than the exercise of unlimited power. Wow, there you go. There is nothing more corrupting, nothing more destructive of the noblest and finest feelings of our nature than the exercise of unlimited power. Mm hmm Yeah, I have to think about that a little bit. The exercise of unlimited power. So it's it's there's no constraints on your power. You just go for it and just, uh, and you're going to be corrupting. You're going to be destructive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think about, um, 
There should be checks and balances, what he's saying. Yeah. And, of course, this is all storybook, but you remember Lord of the Rings? Yeah. So you have the Dark Lord Sauron. <laughs> We're going to get into some lore now. He's the bad guy. And he's exercising his unlimited power to sort of get armies of orcs and men to fight for him against the free men of the West. Now, who's his counterpoint in that world? It's Gandalf the Wizard. Now, when you think about Gandalf the Wizard, he doesn't come in and exercise all of his power at once. He is the most powerful being in that group, but he doesn't carry the ring. He has Frodo carry the ring. He has Aragorn assume the throne. He has the elves come and help him out. He doesn't exercise unlimited power. He tries to bring everyone together and sort of realize their own power and sort of form a coalition to fight Sauron, who's exercising unlimited power. And the result of Sauron's exercise of unlimited power <laughs> leads him to be corrupt and destructive. And, and Gandalf's decision to not just sort of have it be a test of wills between him and Sauron, but rather to form a coalition of everyone who's um, bought into the idea of free men of the West, that's noble and fine feelings of true nature. That's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's Lord of the Rings. I think you said Lord of, Lord of the Flies. I said Lord of the Rings, I think. Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, that all those words, I had to kind of think about that a little bit, but really... What William Henry Harrison is saying with all those words is power corrupts. Mm -hmm. You can say it with two words. An ultimate power, an absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Yeah. Well, let's or move un on. Unlimited power corrupts absolutely, yeah. Chester A. Arthur. Chester Arthur. Men may die, but the fabrics of free institutions remain unshaken. Uh, is that wishful thinking, David? Yeah, like uh, take January 6th. People died. But were the fabrics of free institutions unshaken? They felt pretty shaken to me. Yeah. Men may die, but yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, sometimes the bad guy wins in life. Sometimes, sometimes freedom sometimes, loses. Sometimes freedom loses. You know, and uh, like uh, the Chinese, like, the Chinese like tennis the United, player, like the United States, uh, you have the United States cavalry, and you have the Native Americans. Uh huh. General Custer, he lost. Well, he lost, <laughs> but, but then the, what they won at, the war. Wounded knee. What happened? A wounded knee. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Real life is not as simple as that, I think. Um, it is not strange Milli to mistake change for progress. Millard Fillmore, it is not strange to mistake change for progress. What do you think of that? Uh, as he's saying, it's, it's, it's all how you frame it, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, we're moving forward. So now we're changing it. Yeah. This is, you know, nope, this is progress. We're, we're well, moving you laterally. Can at, you can look at it that way, but sometimes it is and sometimes it's not.
Uh, Warren G. Harding, Americans present need is not heroics, but healing, not nostrums, but normalcy, not revolution, but restoration. Hmm. Well, when was Warren G. Harding president, David? A return to normalcy after World War One. Okay. Um, so after the world was shaken by war, he said, you know what? We need a return to normalcy. Yep. Well, that's just a statement of the present day of 1920s, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could apply that to today. Oh, yeah. We don't need guys with uh, coonskin caps in the Capitol. You know? We don't need people, QAnons. We need n normal people. We don't need people trying to overthrow our government. We need people trying to reinforce its power. No, you could say that, right? Sure. Um, yep. Franklin Pierce says, Frequently, the more trifling the subject the more animated and protracted the discussion. I think that's so true. <laughs> so true. Oh, man. See, if yeah. you would have read Lord of the Rings, we could have had a 17-hour discussion about why my back-of-the-envelope description of the plot was wrong. <laughs> we could have gotten into the minutia of the lore. It's like when people argue over, like, music. It's like, oh, that band sucks. That band's great. And it's like, it's all personal preference. I, or sports. Sports is a good one. Oh, I think the Broncos should have signed a cornerback. No, we needed a strong safety so bad. Like, who cares? But people love talking about that stuff. <laughs> I know. Now, now we're all the football fans against this. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Does it really matter day to day what cornerback or what? defensive halfback you have or or what play they played on the third down and the third drive of the on the 40 yard line you know, it doesn't matter for crying out loud. it doesn't matter at all but people love to be animated and and a totally protracted discussion about it i think honestly i want to save this i don't know how okay. to save this um save go for it I'm saving this image. You know why? Why? Because I genuinely believe this. Okay, let me just close. How'd you get the image? Oh, you clicked on it. Yeah. For those listening to us, you can click on this thing. We're on We're on this uh, Brainy Quotes. Shout out to Brainy Quotes. You can click on it, and it brings up a picture. So are you going to save that picture, David? I'm saving the picture. You know why? I believe this quote by Franklin Pierce, and I'll reiterate the quote. Frequently, the more trifling the subject, the more animated and protracted the discussion. I believe this quote describes the entire podcasting industry. <laughs> exactly what we're doing. Exactly what we're doing. There's podcasts <laughs> about the Godzilla movies. You know, there's podcasts about whatever you can think of, and they get into the, the weeds. And if that's your subject matter, if that's your ballywick, and you sort of enjoy the way that people talk, you'll listen to them talk about gardening for two hours a week. And it's like, what is there to gardening? How could you possibly listen to that? But if you like it, that's your thing. You'll talk about it all the time, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think that yeah. Franklin Pierce, he predicted podcasting. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. Franklin Pierce predicted it. He's he's the Nostradamus of the eighteenth of the nineteenth century. Yeah, he was in the eighteen hundred, wasn't he? Uh huh. Yeah, he he's the Nostradamus of the nineteenth century. He predicted podcasting. <laughs> he predicted podcasting. See, and I think a lot of the prognosticators were that it, it was it was so general that it could apply to most anything in the future. Mm-hmm. A lot of Nostradamus is that way too. Oh yeah, you keep it vague, and people see what they want to see. People see what they want to see, yeah, um, and they'll they'll apply to how they want to apply it. But do you see how Franklin Pierce's quote applies to podcasting? Yeah, I do, I do. They can talk about anything. We're we're talking about what he said, you know, two hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how trifling is the subject of what a dead man said a hundred years ago? <laughs> yeah, and we're and we're we could be animated about what he said about what we're doing. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. But it's fun. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some value in it because it's fun. This next quote is from the Gettysburg Address. Ooh. Abraham yeah. Lincoln? Mm-hmm. You want to read it? Government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. That's from the Gettysburg script. Well... Do you know that the Gettysburg Address is like five, one minute? Yeah, it's really short. And you know he wrote most of it on the train down to Gettysburg? Yeah. Should I read it? Yeah. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus so far nobly advanced. It is rather for us to, to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. The Gettysburg Address. Pretty good speech, huh? It's really good. And I think the reason that's so powerful and people do remember that is because it was short. Yeah. All killer, no filler. And that's right. He, he brought them, and everything he said was something specific and something good, and and then he quit. Mm -hmm. He didn't go on and on and on and on. And actually, from what I understand, Abraham Lincoln was known for going on and on and on and on and on. Hmm. And that's why that uh, he wrote it on the way on the train, or most of it on the train, or maybe all of it. I don't know. I wasn't there. 
<laughs> but on the train down, when he gave it, the, everyone thought this is going to be long. And then it was so short, so poignant, so direct, so, so uh, significant. And then he stopped. They thought about what he said. Mm-hmm. And all that filler didn't detract from his message because there was none. Mm-hmm. He said it and sat down. And you thought about exactly what he said. That's why it's so powerful. You know, sometimes I, brevity, brevity is a Sometimes brevity is an exclamation bookmark. Yeah, and after these last four years of our politics—five years, whatever—you um, know, because we're just one year removed from election, one year and two weeks. You notice that they were fighting a war for the life of the country. And he didn't admonish anyone in that speech. He didn't say, you know, the only reason my poll numbers are down because of the lousy Southerners. Everyone knows I'm the best president ever. Like, there was none of that. It was very, very, it wasn't about him. And I think that's a fascinating thing to have a president who makes it about the situation at hand and not about themselves. And it, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about who won, who won, who, who won. It's about the dead that fought here. Mm-hmm. It's about our countrymen, our countrymen on both sides that fought here for, for a union, for uh, uh, the freedom that we're going to live under. It's about both sides. It was it was about an ideal. Yeah. Well, um, we could end on that one because we're at about yeah, an hour. Actually, just the studying the Gettysburg Address, uh, the situation around it and, and uh, that alone is valuable. Uh, shall we use that one to wrap up? Yes, let's use that one to wrap up. Abraham Lincoln, 1865, was it? Old Honest Abe. Yeah, what did it say? Uh, 1863, November 19th. November 19th? That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow was the Getty. Yeah, so this, we're ending on the Gettysburg Address. That was 1863, uh, November the 19th. That's 37 plus 21. That's 58 plus 100. <laughs> 158 years ago tomorrow. Yep. And those words still live today. And he probably wrote it on the train on the 18th. On the 18th. Uh, th- this today was probably the day he wrote that as he was going down to Gettysburg. Yep. 168 years ago. 158? What did we say? Something like that. Wait, well... It was 63, well... 158. Uh, I just it, did the math, yeah. It, okay, 158 years, there you go. And uh, so so this episode, so uh, today is 2021. Uh-huh. 1863. So 158 years ago, today... Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address on the train, mm-hmm. and he he wasn't thinking of politics. He wasn't thinking of uh, of he him being reelected. He wasn't thinking of his opponent. He wasn't thinking of the North or South. He was thinking of the men who died there and why they died. He wasn't thinking of what people thought of him. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of the men that died there. And sometimes presidents have to think about, when they make a decision, the men and women who are going to die because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be very, very, 
very, very slow to war. Well, this is our second episode about presidential quotes. I think, we, I think we could wrap it up there. Maybe we'll do it again on Tuesday. If you want to join in, we're available wherever you get your podcast. Is there anything you'd like to say as we close today? Sons of Sequoia podcast. We say keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. <laughs>